wisdom. And the first one on the left, he says, is wisdom from above, right? And he says it's characterized by a good life. And again, that's not just like, that's, that's a way of living in the world. A, a good way of living, not just when people look at me and I do things out here, but in, in private. It, it's the way that I live throughout my life. That's what James is calling us to. The, the modifier of good is it's kind of thought of as excellent or, or a beautiful life. And he says it's characterized by works, deeds done in gentleness. And so it puts us back to uh, James 2 where he says faith without deeds is dead, right? And he says it's from above, which is kind of a Jewish way of saying from God, right? He says it's pure, single-minded, and holy. It's peaceable. It's gentle or considerate. It's willing to yield, which is then translated uh, to submissive in, in many uh, translations. It's submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's not partial or hypocritical. And on the other hand, we have the earthly wisdom that James lays out for us. It's characterized by bitter envy and by selfish ambition. The word he used there for selfish ambition is used by Aristotle to describe a political party's spirit. Of, of it's about us getting ahead and, and this partisan politics that causes division and mistrust among the people. It's ego-driven, this earthly wisdom. It's willing to twist the truth. It's not just earthly, but it's demonic. It's, it's evil. It causes disorder and wickedness of every kind. It causes conflicts and disputes among you. It causes you to argue with each other. And it's what happens when we allow the cravings and the passions of our, of our own souls to guide us. And it's about seeking pleasure, Right? And as I reflected on these verses and on this passage, uh, I remember, like, it's easy to agree with James what causes, you know, disruptions among you or, or arguments. It, it's the ego. It's someone selfish. And it's so easy for me to be like, yeah, when I get in an argument with this person, yeah, they're very selfish. They're being, you know, uh, they're, they, they are the picture of selfish ambition. And if they just weren't so ego-driven, then we would just get along, Right? And, and, and as I continue to reflect on that, you know, I know it's easy to point the figure at someone else. But as I continue to reflect on that, I, I felt the Lord kind of invite me to say, okay, John, <laughs> but, but what about yourself? And, and how can you apply these words to your life? And, and where in your life are you being selfish and envious and causing disputes among you? So as God invited me to reflect on that, I think the invitation for us today is that as well. Where, where do I need to grow in my likeness of Jesus, in my willingness to yield, and in not being the selfish person that so often we fall into as a pattern of life? And so, as I said before, the author of our book is James the Just. By this time of writing, he's called James the Just. He's the leader of the Jerusalem church. And, and James is a, a very well-known figure at this time. He's known for his piety and his care for the poor among uh, the Jerusalem members. He's also known for calling out the abuses of the ruling class, the Romans who oppressed them, as well as the ruling uh, Jewish people who partnered with the Romans to push down everyone else in society. He's respected by 
all the people, not just the Christians, not just the Jews. James is respected by everyone to the point of which when he was executed by the high priest, Ananus II, it's a Jewish high priest, executed him. There was public outcry about this. Not just the Christians. Again, everyone was upset that James got executed to the point that when Rome sent a new procurator, a new governor of the land, uh, the new procurator disposed of Ananus, the guy who executed James, over the matter because of the public outcry. That was a mistake, killing James there. That was not right. And this reminds me of the words of uh, who, a person who would have been James' close friend Peter in his epistle when he says, live such good lives among the pagans that when they take you to court, they have nothing to say against you. Perhaps he would say, live such good lives among your culture that when someone kills you, there's public outcry, right? That's part of it. But this was not always the way with James the brother of Jesus. We know they were brothers growing up. I'm a brother. I have brothers, so I can imagine uh, life growing up with Jesus. Maybe they butted heads at certain points or had kind of selfish or or bitterness in their heart when they had quarrels. And I can imagine even uh, um, James here uh, probably might have even wrestled with Jesus as a young lad, a boy, right? And I think it's interesting in the Greek uh, the name James is, is Jacobus, and so you can kind of, that sounds like Jacob, right? And the guy in the Old Testament, Jacob, who's the father of Israel, is the person who wrestles with God. And so I think of James as, as kind of fulfilling that in, in his boyhood and his youth, probably. And as, as they grew, I, I imagine growing up together, there was probably a, 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 some misunderstandings about who Jesus was. And, and over the time, uh, by the time their father had passed, Jesus turns 30, and he's uh, trying to live into the person that God, his father, is calling us to be. And he leaves his family to become a, a traveling teacher or rabbi, right? And I can imagine James coming up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I I, I just don't get it. Why are you abandoning your family? Our father has died. You're the oldest. You're supposed to take care of us all and continue, you know, the carpentry trade. Like, this is what a good Jewish man is supposed to do, and yet you're leaving us to be a traveling rabbi. And with the misunderstandings there, perhaps Jesus would have said, yes, yes, I know James, but I have to be true to what God is calling me to be, and I have to follow God in my life. And so he goes out on the public mission of traveling around and preaching the kingdom of God. We don't know too much about the way James or his brothers would have interacted with Jesus during this time. We have a few um, incidences where they do interact. What we know is they didn't really accept Jesus as who he said he was. They they didn't accept him as God or the Messiah. And uh, perhaps uh, there were times even when uh, they mocked Jesus, right? And said, oh, if you are the Son of God, go do this. And they mocked him. And I can imagine maybe at one point Jesus comes to James, his brother, and he says, hey, why don't you join me in the work that I'm doing in the world? And maybe James would have responded with a little bitterness and stubbornness probably. 
and unwillingness to yield. He might have said, well, Jesus, I got to be my own man. I got to do my own thing. I can't just follow you around. I got to take care of the family, right? And so the reason I'm suggesting us is because I think in James's life, he knows what it's like to live the two different types of way that he's presenting to us. And there's a beautiful line in the Corinthians where Paul tells us that Jesus, after he was resurrected, he visited all these different people, and he, one of the people that he makes sure he comes back for is his brother James. And I can imagine uh, that meeting as well. James, with perhaps all of his shame and sadness and stubbornness that he had in his heart, looking down, downcast, and Jesus, the resurrected Lord, with gentle, humble, and loving words, saying, James, it's okay. I just want you to be a part of what I'm doing in the world. And at that moment, James learns to bend his knee and to yield to the God of the universe. And he becomes what we know, James the Just, the ruler of the Jerusalem church. And so with all that life of who James is and the way that he might have lived in bitterness towards Jesus at one point, but now following his Lord, he writes these words. On top of that, he's writing to Jews, not just in Jerusalem, but all around. But in the time period in Jerusalem, there was a lot of Roman oppression. Uh, there was a high resentment towards Rome, as well as the ruling aristocratic class of the Jewish people. There was different political parties that had different ideas of the way to deal with our situation. There was a party called the Zealots that they hated the ruling class and the Romans and they wanted to throw them off. And there was rioting and violence in the streets. And among the Zealots, there was call for a violent revolution to take up arms and to throw these people off of our back. And I think in the midst of that, James might just be telling his church, well, you know, I really don't think that's the way my big brother Jesus would handle this situation. And so in the midst of this, James says these words, Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your... And perhaps the Jews would have said, Show by taking up arms and, and fighting the Romans and getting them off of us so that we can live the way God wants us to live. When I read this, I really want them to say, Show by your like, great biblical knowledge, because I went to school for that, and, and show by, like, preach a really good sermon, John. Show that that you're wise, because, again, that's what I was trained to do. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say show by your words, by the way you teach other people. He says show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. Again, a, a good life that's, that's a way of life, not just in private, but in, in public, or not just in public, but in private. It's a way of living in the world that's different. That your works, it's your actions, it's not just the things that you say that make you sound smart or, or wise or whatever. And he says they're done in the gentleness born of wisdom. Sometimes gentleness is translated humility here. But I, I love this idea that as we age and as we hopefully become wiser, 
we become more gentle and more kind and more humble. And we quit trying to impress people by the things we say or do, but we just live out our life in submission to God. And he says this, but if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, bitter envy says, I want something that's not mine, or I want something that someone else has, and that makes me feel bad because I don't have it. And selfish ambition says, well, what's in it for me? Perhaps sometimes you hear that in your head. When we walk into a room or into an event, we say, what's in it for me in this situation? And James says, if that, those things are in your heart, then that's not a good thing. Do not be boastful and false to the truth. He says, such wisdom does not come down from above. And from above is just, again, a Jewish way of saying from God. It's the same words that Jesus uses from above in John 3 when he approaches Nicodemus at night and he says, you must be born from above. Oftentimes it's translated as a born again, but the original is from above. You must be born from God. So James is saying that wisdom is not God's wisdom. It's earthly, unspiritual, and devilish. It's not just neutral, kind of okay wisdom. It's evil. It's wrong. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. It just invades everything, and, and every action gets turned bad. But the wisdom from above is first pure, single-minded, holy, then peaceable. It, it tries to get along with people. Another t- sometimes it's, it's translated reasonable, it's peaceable. We try to get along. Even when we disagree, it's okay. We can still get along, right? It's gentle. Oftentimes, gentleness is an overlooked characteristic of people like Jesus. We want, we want people to be bold and brash if they're going to be our leaders. And someone who's gentle, probably in our culture today, would not get elected to political office, right? But James says, to be like Jesus, we have to be gentle. We have to be willing to yield, and that is translated submissive, and I'm about to kind of talk more about that in a sec. It's full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy, right? We talked about partiality last week a little bit in our scripture, and hypocrisy is just like doing one thing on the outside so that uh, people can see it, but without having a change of heart, without really being the people that God wants us to be, putting on a show, right? And so I want to talk a little bit about this idea of submission, because James says we must be willing to yield, or in, again, like I said, it's translated submissive, right? And if, if you have heard me preach before, you know I like the author Richard Foster, and he gives this as a definition for the practice of submission, the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get your own way. Perhaps you know someone who it's always their way or the highway, and it, it's really hard to be friends with these people or, or to be in their family with them, right? When Jesus says, many of you are weary and carrying heavy 
burdens. Perhaps he's thinking of the burden of always needing to get our own way. So if we're Christians, we're willing to lay down getting our way, right? I like uh, sometimes if I get the chance to, to mention John Calvin, because we have some former Presbyterians here, and I don't talk about John Calvin too much because we're Wesleyan, but he's a reformer uh, of the church and during the time of the Reformation. And he was a great pastor, and one of the things that he said uh, often is that teachability is one of the highest virtues of Christian people. He loved teachability. He put it up there next to godliness, right? Because uh, people who are Christians are people who are willing to learn from others, right? We, we don't have this high idea of ourselves as just better than others. We're teachable, willing, willing to learn. Some of the most godly people that I know, the people that I want to be like so much, are the people that whenever they walk into the room, they say, okay, what can I learn from this situation? Even if they're very clearly the smartest person in the room, Their mindset is, okay, what can I learn? And I can learn from anyone, you know? And I think being teachable is is part of what is included in this willing to yield or this idea of submission. And now, uh, so yesterday I went on a boat to celebrate my mom's birthday and our family was there and my older brother was there with his wife with us and so my wife was on the boat we were all in the um we were all in the water and my older brother started you know rocking the boat to you know give his wife a hard time and I said man Stephen really loves rocking the boat in in general in life and he's like yeah you're right John you love rocking the boat so I'm when I preach sometimes I like to rock the boat and so I'm going to rock the boat a little bit here in this part when we speak on submission. Because I think we have a problem in our culture and in especially our area of the world because we love telling other people that the Bible tells them that they should be submissive, right? We love that. And so back in our history a while ago, the white folks loved reading this passage from Scripture. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. This comes from the book of Ephesians. But they would read this to their slaves uh, to force them into submission, to make them feel that if they were Christians, they, like that was what they were supposed to do. And they loved reading this over and over again. But they turned the word of God into this force of oppression, which is not okay. I get very upset with people like that, because the Bible is not supposed to be used for that. And if they had continued reading on the paragraph, they would read a little bit further down, and they would read that Paul says something that would have blown their minds. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Whoa, 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 whoa. Everything you just said, the slaves were supposed to do for them too. It doesn't take a PhD in biblical theology, and it doesn't take knowing the original Greek language to read this and to be like, okay, submission was not just supposed to be for slaves. That wasn't okay in our history. And then rock the boat even more, John. Here we go. Uh, the men, our husbands, really love reading this verse in Ephesians. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. We love telling other people to submit. And they bring this out, and again, is a weapon of oppression. 
sorry. But they forget to read the verse like that's right before it. That's to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The subject is everyone listening is supposed to submit to everyone else. And it's this picture of us together practicing what it means to submit. And so again, we don't need a PhD. We don't need the original Greek language. We just need to read more than one sentence at a time, right? Like, that's not the way you read the newspaper. You don't just read, like, one line and be like, okay, I know the whole story. No, you read the whole thing. Then you know the whole story. And we don't make the Bible out to be this ugly and dirty book, but it's not. And so, so I say this because we need to stop telling other people that the Bible tells them to submit. We just need to stop that. And we need to look at ourselves We need to say, okay, God, where are you calling me to be like your son, Jesus? Richard Foster says this, the discipline of submission has been terribly misconstrued and abused from failure to see the wider context. Submission is an ethical theme that runs the gamut of the New Testament. It's a posture obligatory upon all Christians, men as well as women, fathers as well as children, masters as well as slaves. We are commanded to live a life of submission because Jesus lived a life of submission. Not because we're in a particular place or station in life. So as I was thinking about the ways that we as Christians are called to be submissive, I thought of uh, some different uh, situations, and I'll just go through these real quick and uh, we'll wrap up. First situation is when we're in a situation and it's based on our desires, and we're having a conversation and we say, well, I like this or I have this certain opinion. And it's just opinion. So you go out to eat with your family and it's like, okay, where do you want to go tonight? And we need to be willing in those situations to say, okay, I don't have to get my own way. I can, I can do what you want to do tonight. Let's, let's do that. So that's the first situation where it's just a matter of desire or opinion. Second situation is there are some conversations that we have that there's absolutely going to be a right answer, right? And maybe we're arguing with someone or discussing, and and we need to be willing to yield. So I can tell a little story on myself. This week I was um, talking with Patty Overing. She was over in uh, the welcome desk. She was helping me with a few things. She's a member of our church. And uh, she asked me a question. She said, John, so when did you, like, when are we going to wrap up our Wednesday night study? Like, when did you say that was going to close? And I said, because we have a certain amount, you know, and we marked it out on the calendar. And I said, you know, I think it's the week before Thanksgiving. And she said, you know, I counted it up, and I really think it's the week before that, November 10th. And I said, you know, I counted it up too. And I think it's really the 17th will be our last day. And she said, well, let's look at it. And she said, well, this is, and it'll be the 10th. And I said, I really think it, I, I thought it was the 17th. And so in that moment, I was like, okay, John, on Sunday, you're preaching a sermon about being willing to yield. <laughs> and you're in this conversation. Uh, why don't we approach this and say, okay, well, I could be wrong. Let, let's look at it again. Let's look at it. And I looked at it again, and Patty was right. It was November 10th, right? And so sometimes there is a right answer, and, and sometimes we're, we're the one with the right answer, but even with that, we need to come with the right attitude of being willing to yield. 
And then our last situation that I want to say is just like where it's in between, there's a clear right answer and it's opinion. For example, when uh, you're you're talking with your spouse about where to send your kids to school, like there's pros and cons of, of different ones, and it's not necessarily like one very clear answer, but maybe you disagree and it's okay. And being willing to yield doesn't mean we don't say our thoughts or our opinion. We can say that, but then we follow that up with, but we don't have to go with the option that I want. And so as we move forward in our lives, living lives following Jesus, becoming like him in gentleness, humility, and submission, I might ask big brother James, okay, so how do we move forward? Like, how do we actually do this in our lives? And he says this, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So submit again to God. James knows what it's like to bend the knee to the ruler of the universe. Draw near to God, because if you want to be like big brother Jesus, you need to spend some time with him. And allow him to rework your life and your way of living in the world. So the invitation is to consider two types of wisdom, two types of living in the world. To say, well, which one do I want to live? And if it's the wisdom from above, the invitation is to draw near to God. Amen. Would you pray with me?